Good morning. All right. Yeah, it's going to be a good day. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here. We are in the midst of a series called Who We Are. Turn to our neighbor and say, who are we? I'm glad you asked. We're going to talk about who we are. We're going through, we call them our fluencies. They're sort of our core. Kyle, it's good to see you, man. Congratulations, husband. Come on. Kyle and Ann just got married. Exciting things happening. Your baby dedication will be coming at some point in Jesus' name. Like, you know, some, some point. Um, Anyways, we're going through our core heart as a church. We call them our fluencies. And uh, last week we talked about our, our, our deep need as human beings for community, right? We, we, you need community, sort of the way we said it last week is you need community and community needs you. Here at Greenhouse, we call these communities micro churches. They operate from the premise that we are far better together than we are in isolation, amen? If, how many of you got a chance to check out a microchurch this week? Show of hands if you were in a microchurch this week. Was that helpful? Was that good? Was that valuable? Okay, you're like, I wouldn't tell you if it wasn't. Amen, but it, it was good. I hope you're encouraged to check one of these out. Uh, this week, I want to talk about another one of these core aspects of our heart, which is a core component of the heart of God, namely God's heart for the marginalized, the poor, the disenfranchised, and the oppressed. This morning, I want to talk about what does God have to say about justice? Everybody say justice. So stand to your feet with me as we get ready to read from God's word, we're gonna be in Micah chapter six, verse eight. I'm getting a little bit of feedbacky-backy here in the microphone. Um, if we could uh, amend to that, Matthew, that'd be fantastic. This is Micah six, eight. It is one verse that we will unpack in quite a few minutes. God is speaking and it says, he has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? By the way, fantastic synopsis here. God, what do you want from me? Ever felt that before? God, what is it that you have for my life? Here it is, ready? In one verse, what does the Lord require of you? Three things, but to, say it with me, do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with you. Aren't you glad that God makes it simple? Not easy, but simple. Y'all know the difference, right? Let's pray. Lord, Help us understand this thoroughly so that we can live it consistently. Amen. Turn to your neighbor, give him a high five. You can find your seat as we jump into this thing. This morning, I want to talk about justice. I want to talk about justice. Now, I acknowledge that in the midst of this room, especially in a uh, pandemic-y era, I just say the word justice and already you're squirming. This word, it's, it's become so emotionally charged. I get it. I, don't, I, I know where we're at. It, it's become so emotionally charged. It's become so politically charged. In the midst of the current moment, this word justice is almost like an emotional cuss word. You're like, no, I don't have the stamina. Do we have to talk about this? It's, there's so much tension and confusion and anger and distrust around this topic. We don't even know how to think about it. Are we progressing and moving forward in terms of justice in our current cultural moment? Are we regressing and we're moving backward? It's so complicated, and yet it's one of God's big three. And yet when God, through the prophet Micah, unpacks what he's longing for out of humanity, one of the three things is to do what? Justice. To love mercy, to walk humbly. 
In fact, this is not simply an isolated Bible verse. This word justice is referenced over 1,300 times in the Bible. This justice thing apparently is a big deal to God. And so as disciples, if it's a big deal to God and it matters to God, it means it matters to us, or at least it should, right? If anyone needs to own this word, if anyone needs to be fluent in this concept, according to God, it is the people of God. And yet rarely has a word been so neglected, misapplied, misdefined, and misunderstood. I remember at the very beginning of our marriage, Nancy and I were still living in Gainesville, and we got to meet a friend who was an exchange student from China. We built a friendship and we built a relationship. My experience and travels were uh, really non-existent. I've never been to China. I had limited experience culturally with Chinese culture and the various aspects of that in a rather large nation and diverse people group. And so we were talking one time and he was asking about America. He's like, what's American culture like? I'm like, oh, goodness gracious. I don't know. Hamburgers? I don't know. Where, where do you start with that? We're a melting pot of everywhere. And so we were talking about culture and he said, and we got into the topic of food, which I felt was the Lord leading and guiding that conversation. Spirituality eventually, but food, you know, started there, and uh, it's the marriage supper of the lamb. God's okay with it, and so we went to food, and he's like, oh, John, have you ever had Chinese food? To which I said, of course, and he's like, hold on, hold on, show me a picture of what you've had, and so I showed him this, right, like, and he was, he was appalled. He's like, that is not Chinese food. I was like, yeah, yeah, it is. Like, he's like, no, 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 I get it. That's not. And so he had Nancy and I, I was like, well, I, I have to taste and see that the Chinese food is good. Like, you can't just tell it to me. You got to show it to me, you know? And so he cooked this meal. He invited us over. We sat down and sure enough, it was not like this. Like it was Chinese dining and when from his, you know, crew from his area of China, it's family style dining. You make these dishes. It was very unique. We had to do it with chopsticks. It was very humbling for me. A little hot pot in the middle. Like there was all this stuff. And I remember sitting here thinking, wow, this is very different from what I've experienced. See, when it came to Chinese food, it actually took someone from China to define it appropriately so I knew what I was talking about. Y'all tracking with me? Now, when it comes to this word justice, guess where this word justice came from? Not earth, it came from God. It came from heaven. So we're gonna run into issues if we try to define a word that came from heaven by limited mere mortals who come from earth. See, just like the food, I needed someone from the country to authentically describe it in the intent and profundity of the experience. And in the same way, if I needed a friend from China to help me fully understand what Chinese food in his cultural context actually was, in the same way, we need, with a word emanating from heaven, we need somebody from heaven to explain to us what we mean by this word justice. Otherwise, we're just talking about cardboard boxes. We need God to unpack for us what we're talking about when it comes to justice. See, I'm convinced in our current cultural moment, we are so divided, conflicted, and confused when it comes to this idea of justice because we have neglected to go back to the originator of the concept itself. We have to understand it from its point of origin. Justice, are we all on the same page here, is God's concept. 
Justice is God's idea. It's not the politically right and it's not the politically left. It's not Gen Z and it's not millennials and it's not boomers. Justice is created and enacted by the righteous judge in heaven and we have to allow him to set the terms. What happens, unfortunately, is when God's people don't represent and embody God's justice, justice becomes what it is now, a moving target of political persuasions and generational differences. Why this topic matters so deeply to God and why it matters so deeply to us is because when God's people neglect God's justice, we turn the conversation and the divining of terms over to a world that tries to define it without God, which is problematic because they don't understand the concepts from the country of origin, heaven which means we're destined for failure. We're destined for confusion. We're destined for division because we started at the wrong place. Proverbs 28.5 says it like this. It says, evil men, other versions say, those without God, evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand it all. Apart from God, there is no real justice. There is no real justice without godliness because what will happen is what we see over and over and over, and it's all across the spectrum. Godlessness will always remove one idol or one evil or one malpractice and simply replace it with another idol and another evil and another malpractice and another problem. Here's my thought, and we'll unpack it together as we walk through Micah 6.8. If the people of God could become fluent in the justice of God, we could turn this world upside down. If the people of God, y'all, us, could become fluent in the justice of God, we could see a move of God in our current moment. Anyone on board? Yes and amen for that. Lord, we need it. Let's dive in. I dream of Greenhouse. I dream of us being a church family over there in Guyana, being a church family where we are fluent in God's justice, God's mind, God's heart, and God's hands. Point number one is this. Micah 6, 8 says, what does the Lord require of you but to do, say it with me, justice. All right, here we go. Webster defines justice. We'll start here on earth. As the maintenance and administration of what is just, especially, and this is key, especially by an impartial adjustment. This is a key word. An impartial adjustment of conflicting claims or assignment of rewards or punishments. Do you see a problem in that definition? It's one word, impartial, right? Fundamentally a flaw unless you look at justice in light of the judge. Culture has come to define justice as that which is good for humanity, that which is good for the individual, that which is good for humankind, but that is not, as you can imagine, the profundity of what justice means biblically. Biblically, here's what justice means. This is great if you're taking notes to write this down because a simple key operating definition will be helpful. Here's justice biblically. That which is right or just according to the judge. Who's the impartial third party that's gonna make all of this clear? God. 
Justice, biblically, is that which is right or just according to the judge. It all goes back to the judge. True justice, and we see this to some degree, at least trying to enact in our legal system, true justice demands a judge. Martin Luther King Jr. said it like this, a just law is one that squares with the law of God, or a just law is one that squares, that runs in line with the law of heaven. Now, this concept of justice biblically, if we were allowing to allow God to set the definition and terms of his word, this word justice biblically is much more crucial and far-reaching than we have limited it down to in our modern cultural context. Justice biblically links together two foundational terms. The first one is righteousness. How many of you have heard this term in the Bible or something, this term righteousness? Okay, righteousness as we uh, consider it is basically personally living right, morally upstanding with what God has to say in regard to morality. This is righteousness. Well, biblically, the word justice actually links righteousness and justice together. In the original language, in God's mindset and mentality, righteousness and justice are inextricably linked. This has significant ramifications for human beings. I'll break down a small bit of this in the Greek so we could all feel learned by the time we walk out of here. In the Greek, righteousness and justice both have the same root. It's this biblical world, DK. Everybody say DK. DK. This is the root for righteousness in the scriptures. It's the same root that's used for the word justice. If you were to translate righteousness in the original language, righteousness would be that which the judge deems right. How many Spanish speakers do we have in the room? All right, one time, la lengua de los cielos. I mean, I mean. If you were reading your Bible in Spanish, what is the word that's used for righteousness? Exacto. Justicia. Spanish, like in most of life, has it right. Okay, right? They, they got it together. They, they figured it out. It's justicia. It's righteousness. It's justice. They, which one is it? Yes. Justicia, yes, it's right, it's decay. God looks at it and the, the answer, why? Because it all goes back to the judge. Righteousness, justice, all goes back to that which is right in the eyes of the judge. So what? Let me hit you with the implications of this. In our modern context, here is what we often fall into. You talk to some people and they're like, yeah, Pastor John, that's all well and good. Talk to people about reading the Bible and sleeping around and doing all that morality stuff. But I'm gonna go and do the real work of God and get to some justice. Then you talk to other people and they're like, yeah, yeah, John, that's all well and good. You're out there trying to save the world and do all this activism and you're helping people and you're talking about justice. But are you even reading your Bible? When's the last time you prayed? You're just sleeping around with everybody and you're like, man, it doesn't matter, but you're out doing it. Like, and the reality is it's so tempting in our modern context to say, Pastor John, I get it, but I'm not a righteousness guy. I'm a justice guy. Or Pastor John, I get it, but I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a justice lady. I'm more like a righteousness lady. And God says impossible. There are two sides of the same coin. You cannot have one and say you're enacting the other. It's righteousness. And justice, it, it is the same. In the Bible, they are inseparably linked. Nuances to each one, but inseparably linked. You cannot say biblically that you're a person of justice if you're not a person pursuing righteousness. And you cannot say you're a person pursuing righteousness if you are not a person pursuing God's justice. God says it doesn't work that way. 
because his very word encompasses both. You guys tracking with me here? Do you see the difference in our modern cultural context and how if we ride with the world's definitions? Here's the fundamental problem. This is not in my notes, but it is very much in my heart. In the very beginning of our story in the book of Genesis, we're doing a reading plan right now that we created in, in collaboration with a Bible project called Fluent. And so I'm thinking about Genesis because we're going through Genesis now. By the way, microchurch leaders, it's awesome. You should totally do it with some people in your group. Not the point. I'm in there, and they're talking about the very beginning of our story with Adam, right, which represents humanity, Adam and Eve. And the, the key struggle for humanity since the beginning was this. God said, you can do whatever you want. Enjoy life. I've given you dominion. Go, be fruitful and multiply. Praise the Lord. Sex was his idea, too. He's like, listen, I got all sorts of great stuff for you. Just don't do this one thing. Tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from it. Why? The serpent gave them an explanation. Here's God's explanation. We had to make a decision at the very beginning, and it's the same decision we have to make always. Do we trust God's goodness in the defining of terms for us? Are we willing to trust the way God has defined good and evil or anything else? Or, because God is humble, he has given us this opportunity. Or will we take autonomy into our own hands and say, God, you got this thing rolling. We'll take it from here. I now will set the definitions of good and evil and my wisdom of the knowledge of good and evil. I'm telling you, we've done it with this word. This is, part, this is the fundamental reason for our calamity in this moment because when we step, every single time we choose autonomy from God rather than trust in God, we tank our lives and destinies. This is what's at stake for this word. God says, justice is my word and I want my, I want my word back in order to understand the beauty and the flourishing that's there. Righteousness and, righteousness and justice biblically are inseparably linked. Why? Because it all goes back to the judge. Can you guys throw Psalm 89, 14 up here on the screen? Why don't you read it with me? It says this, it says, righteousness, all three of y'all. Let's all read it together. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness Go before you. You ever try to sat, sit on a chair that had one leg? It's called a unicycle. We're all horrible at it, right? It says that righteousness and justice, they are the, the bastions of the very throne of God. God's rule and reign is predicated on righteousness and justice. Why? Because they're linked. They are the twin towers of God's dominion and rule, which means we can't only pursue one, otherwise we're living life on a unicycle about to face plant. Hashtag our culture. Because we need God's definition, righteousness and justice. Isaiah 61 verse eight says this, it says, for I, the Lord, what does it say? Love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. I'll faithfully give recompense. I'll make an everlasting covenant. God not only is the originator of justice, he loves it. And I don't know about the rest of y'all, I wanna grow in loving the things that God loves. Amen? Point number one, I've shown you, oh man, what is good, but to do justice, and point number two, to love, what does it say? Mercy. Here's a danger, in a world of rampant injustice, which I, I don't think I have to explain to you, I think we're all on the same page, that is the world that we live in, it is difficult to not get bitter, hardened, and hard-hearted as we experience this reality. This week, I got a chance to touch base with some of our missionaries and missions partners on the ground there in Turkey and Syria doing earthquake relief. By the way, from them to you all, 
They say, thank you, thank you, thank you. Those of you that gave towards the relief efforts, they're there on the ground rescuing people, being the literal hands and feet of Jesus. If you'd like to give towards that, you're still welcome to. There will be continued needs for the foreseeable future for sure. But one of the missionaries was sharing an update about what they were experiencing and, and someone was asking, well, hey, can you give us like a, you know, it, it's devastation, it's carnage, it's heartbreaking, it's, it's horrible, it's, and yet God's moving as he always does in the midst of tragedy and it's inspiring and all these things. I said, but can you give us a taste of what's happening on the ground? And he said, well, I'll tell you a story from this week. He said, in the, in the very beginning, all you're doing for the first couple of days, the first week or so, is you're just trying to rescue people out of the rubble. He said, and so we, we, we had first responders there on the ground and, and we we're trying to rescue people out of the rubble and, and we're there, um, I believe this was in Syria, and we're there and... Uh, and we hear this voice of a little girl, help me, help me. And, and so, we're, we're, you know, it's, it's, it's chaos, it's, it's calamity. And so we're, we're struggling to find her. And, and we finally, and we're slowly sort of working our way through the rubble. And she's, help me, help me. And we can finally hear her a little bit saying, help me, help me. And, and, and they're getting closer, they're closer. They see her. She's shielding. She's got a little brother that she's shielding. And this is a little seven-year-old girl. She's shielding her brother. They're, they're trapped. Help me, help me. They finally get close enough where they can, hear what she's saying and she's saying please help me please rescue me if you rescue me I'll be your slave please rescue me if you rescue me I'll be your slave I'll be your slave just please rescue me and he's like our our, our workers hearts are breaking because they're having to move slowly because there's rubble if you move one thing haphazardly it could make the other thing that it's standing on fall. you know it's a, it's a precarious situation they're in and so she's she's taking their slowness to mean reluctance. And so she is offering herself as a slave in exchange for rescue of her and her brother. And this missionary starts sobbing. He's like, what kind of world do we live in where a seven-year-old girl has decided that there's a hope for her to be rescued if she'll just offer herself as a slave? Broke my heart. And it breaks my heart even more because she's not that wrong. Human trafficking is booming. She didn't come up with that idea randomly. She probably experienced it, if not in her own life, in the life of one of the people she knows. Here's our problem. If we stop at justice and we do, don't move forward into mercy, the cruel, harsh reality of this world will turn our hearts into the very thing that we hate. Which is why God in his infinite love and wisdom says you have to do justly, but you must love mercy. For those of you that are wanting a refresher on mercy, I considered putting a picture up on the screen of my mom in jail again. But I decided not to do that for fear of the wrath of mom. Um, Mercy is not getting the consequences that we deserve, right? It is unmerited mercy. This is mercy. For the people of God, the idea is that we all, how many, show of hands, how many of you have been shown mercy? How many of you have been shown mercy in the past week from God? How many of you have been shown mercy in the past day from God? How many of you have been shown mercy in the past hour from God, right? The idea is that we, the people of God especially, are supposed to be deeply in touch with this concept of mercy. And because we have so experienced its redemptive power, we are supposed to love and cherish it exactly in bringing that same thing to others as well. 
Colossians 3, it says it like this. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, it says, Since God chose you to be holy, set apart people he loves, you must close yourself with tender, what does it say? Mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offended you. Why? Because you remember that the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. The idea here from God is a reminder of the whole story. This is one of the challenges of all human beings, but especially in our modern context, we are so prone to only remember half the story, the ones where we're the good guys or the good gals. But the whole story, the trajectory of scripture reminds us about is that all human beings are broken, flawed, victims and aggressors paid for by the same blood, coming to the same cross, forgiven by the same God, all because of an empty tomb and a resurrected Jesus. And so we love, love, mercy. This is something our our world and especially our current cultural moment does not get. Many of you remember the slap heard around the world at the Oscars, right? I'll put a picture up there. This is this moment, Will Smith gets up there, get the name out of my mind, and he gets up there, and it was this shocking, like, was this, everyone's like, is that real? Was that staged? Like, it was so shockingly bizarre. It's like, what, what is this? And, and then the reaction, which is an immediate, like, Will Smith, you're, you're done. You're, you're, you're toast, right? And you can say, well, yeah, he did something horrible, and he did do something horrible. It's totally out of line, but, but the reaction of our culture in a moment of wrong, in a moment of injustice, is we do not simply look for a rectifying of the wrong. We look for a canceling of the person in entirety. The outpouring, the outcry was, Will Smith should never go to the Oscars again. Never be invited anywhere again. Never. We are a culture where you're good until you're good, and then when you're, go- when you're, when you're bad, you're gone. You're dead. This is where God's word is so beautifully nuanced. Why? Because we all are victims and perpetrators of injustice, which is why the call is to do justly and to love mercy. Dr. Tony Evans was here in I mentioned he was here maybe a month and a half ago, two months ago, and we said, Dr. Evans, what are you seeing in in the world? And he mentioned some things about kindness. We said, what are you seeing in our culture? He said, oh, our, our culture loves the idea of justice, but anywhere outside of the church, what they really mean is vengeance. He said, it's not, it's not justice, it's vengeance. It's you did that and now you're dead. And what we are lacking in our moment is the only thing that followers of Jesus can provide. Oh, we hold people accountable, but we do it with an undergirding love for mercy. Do justice, love mercy. We appropriately demand justice, but our culture has dangerously forsaken mercy. And the problem with that is that justice without mercy can restrain behavior, but it never transforms hearts which means you end up with the same problem in perpetuity. Do you see that happening in our world? See, but justice with mercy, it transforms. It's it's the gospel. It's what we've experienced. We all demanded the wrath of God for our actions and God was just, but he put it on his son, not on the ones who deserved it. 
We have to find a way as a people of God to call out the evils in our world, racism, abortion, to call them sin, but simultaneously gives mercy, which means this, a space to repent, a space to change, because only the kindness of God leads people to repentance, not condemnation. What does God require of you, oh man, oh woman, but to do justice, to love mercy, and you remember the last one, to walk humbly. Turn to your neighbor and say, you gotta be humble. You gotta be humble. What does the Lord require but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? Parenting is a very humbling act, is it not? Parents, can I get an amen? I remember not too long ago, my son, who is very verbal and boisterous, him and his sister typically get around great. I'm like, oh, thank the Lord. But it was one of those moments where that was not the case. And he was just there and he was just yelling at sweet Lucy about something. I mean, little, little sugar, sweet Lucy. And he just, he's like, Lucy, you can't do that. And she, had, to be fair, I'd found out later, she had totally shystily broken something he was working on for a long time because she still needs the Lord as well, even though she's so sweet. And so, but he was like, Lucy, and he was just going. Lucy, why did you? And he was yelling. And so I'm like, Liam, why are you yelling at your sister? You don't need to yell. <laughs> oh, that's why. You ever been there? This is the importance of this third facet. Do justice. Because there are wrongs in this world that in Jesus' name need to be addressed. Amen? But love mercy because there are wrongs in our lives that needed to be addressed and God gave us abundant mercy that we did not deserve and because we've experienced, we gotta be those who pour it out as well. But walk humbly because you got blind spots that you feel very dignified and self-righteous about and you are wrong, right? God's so smart, he's so smart. He doesn't, he doesn't give anyone a pass on anything, including us because he loves us. Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly. It takes humility to confess, I, John, have blind spots. And so do you. It's our human condition, which is why the call is to walk humbly. Most earth voices are one-sided, one-trick ponies. The problem in our world is, I'll tell you what the biggest issue is, and typically, by the way, it's things that we don't personally struggle with. Spoiler alert. I can tell you the one thing. Man, if we just fix this, yeah, actually, Jesus told us what that is. It's called sin, um, and I'm pretty sure he's right. Right? Now, there are other things that matter, but, but we get into this sort of one-sided, the problem is, and then fill in the blank, oppression, laziness, abuse of power, rebellion against authority. But the scripture beautifully and wisely recognizes the complexity of our human condition. If you want an example of that, there's tons of them, but a great example is Proverbs 28. If you're looking at it through our very limited scope of political persuasion, which by the way, we all need to acknowledge is a very limited scope, not that it's not important or necessary, but it's very limited. Proverbs 28 goes in and it talks about oppression and the problem of oppression and unjust gain and unjust wages. And then right there in the same proverb, two verses later, it talks about the problem of laziness and entitlement. Proverbs 28, it'll, put, it'll offend all your political persuasions right there in three Bible verses. Why? Because God, because Jesus if nothing else, is an equal opportunity offender because he loves the world. And everybody's got blind spots, which is why the call is to walk humbly with our God. 
It's us coming to the table with honesty, saying that we are all guilty in some way, in some area of defining justice by our culture rather than our God. And when we do that, we always lose. God's justice is neither left nor right politically. It's neither Gen Z nor Gen X. God's justice is defined by God's kingdom, which is what we were created for. And if we sell it short, we're missing out on what God has intended for our lives. God reveals to us our utter need for his wisdom to do justice rightly. It should be appropriately and liberatingly humbling for us to own. Why? Because the problem with our world is our memories. We typically only remember 50% of the story, and typically it's the 50% that we want to remember. You've been in an argument before, you're telling the story, and then you have the benefit of a third party. They're like, ah, that's not exactly what happened. But we could swear it is. Why? Because we tell ourselves the story where we're the hero or the victim. God says that doesn't work for flourishing relationships, which is what he wants for us which is why we must walk humbly. Humility is acknowledging that we actually need other people in our lives to get the story right. Humility is acknowledging that we actually need people in our lives who see it differently, feel it differently, vote it differently, care for it differently, engage in it differently, to see the whole picture in the way God intended. Humility is acknowledging I need you and you need me, but I do not have it on an island And I definitely don't have it if it's just me and social media. I need real people in my real life. How many of you think this world is in trouble? How many of you would like to see God come to the day and rescue our broken, hurting, desperate world? Great news. Second Chronicles gives the key. Says when I, God says, when I shut up the heavens so that there's no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people, translation, when things get really, really bad and you don't know what to do, check this. If my people who are called by my name, well, the world just needs to, okay, chill. If my people who are called by my name will do what? Y'all said that like you're not excited about it. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. What's happening in Asbury? This is wild. It must be the music. You ever live stream that junk? Nope. It must be the preaching. You ever listen to that? Nope. What's happening? Woo, it's just what God always said. It's a movement with a bunch of students who are just desperate, hungry, and humble. God said, I've given you the key. You got a world in need. If we just have good enough strategy, Andrew, I'm telling you, if you just have good enough strategy, let's get the best minds in the room and we'll brainstorm it up. No, that's called humanism. Doesn't work. If we just get the the most emotionally attuned thinkers in the body of Christ that are so adept at communicating from the head, then they can emotionally move people in a way where they can understand because they just don't understand the gospel. So we have to go for, no, no, no. That's called humanism. God says, here's the key. If you're in a tough spot and you're like, man, our world is going to hell in a handbasket. Here's the answer. My people call by my name who humble themselves and pray. God says, if they do that, seek my face, turn from the wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins, heal their land. It's a promise from God. 
We humble ourselves, we confess, we repent, we do justice, but we love mercy and we walk humbly before God and before people. And he forgives and he heals. My dream, our dream is that we would be a humble church. I don't care for the coolest, we won't ever be. I don't care for the biggest, we won't ever be. I don't care for the flashiest, we won't ever be. I don't care about a lot of things. You know what I care about? I care that we honor the Lord by doing justice, loving mercy, and walking humbly. That is not the legacy we've been given, friends, in the American church, but it's God's heart for his people. So let's do it, amen? Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly. Here's the application. I am praying that this week, you and I, we would start getting fluent in God's justice. My dream, our dream, is that we would be a people fluent in God's justice. If you're taking notes, I'm just gonna follow the same trajectory. Point number one, that starts with using his definition. Thank the Lord we are having this conversation before all of our minds go in crazy places in a political season, which by the way is coming, Lord have mercy. Get your mind wrapped around the Bible now before there are billions of dollars thrown your way to move you, persuade you, and manipulate you into a certain way of thinking. Number one, when it comes to justice, I'm praying that we would use his definitions, that we would acknowledge justice according to the judge, that we would acknowledge a heavenly principle in accordance with the heavenly directives, which is justice and righteousness, which is DK, justice, to do what is right in the eyes of the judge. Fleshed out biblically, this involves equity, treating the foreigner in the same way. This involves the vulnerable. God calls us to advocate for the vulnerable. This is orphans, widows, those who are oppressed. This includes generosity. Scripture says that when you help the poor, you are literally doing justice. This involves morality, what is true and right in the Lord's eyes. Specifically, there are over 1,300 uses of justice in the Bible. Here's what I'd love for you to do this week. Do a simple word study. The Bible Projects is one of the partners we're doing to do this uh, Bible reading plan that we're gonna be going through over the next 18 months. Go on YouTube, type in Justice Word Study Bible Project and take a look at that. Dive in if you're like, I don't know how to do a word study. Talk to your microchurch leader. If they don't know, talk to Malik. He's like a walking Bible hero. He would love to talk with you about what a word study could be. Point number two, be merciful. Be merciful. We must do what God says justice is, his definition, in the way God says to do it, which is merciful and kind. Let me make it very tangible. This week in your real life, when someone is deserving wrath, give them mercy instead and see what happens. It doesn't say that it's God's shame and condemnation that bring people to repentance and heart change, does it? How does God do it? Kindness. This week, begin to train yourselves to deal with people like God deals with you. With kindness and mercy. Specifically in your real life, when a coworker, when a classmate, when somebody on the internet acts a fool and they deserve wrath and you start calling on fire of God in your heart, instead ask God to give you mercy. And I'm telling you, watch what he does. Watch what he does. Some of you parents, I dare you. I dare you to try it. How in the world would I do that? Meditate on his mercy for you. Meditate on his mercy for you. You don't have to go anywhere else. Pause for a moment. Wait a second. I do this all the time. What does God do with me? Oh, do that. Do that. It's not not holding people accountable. It's a different heart posture, though, when you do it. 
Give people mercy. Number three, walk humbly. Shame does not produce the righteousness of God. Specifically, I would love for us to decide now in advance before a political season that we would forsake the one issue trap. What I mean by that is if people are vulnerable, according to scripture, if people are in a difficult spot, they are the people of God's problem. We have specific gifts, we have specific talents, we have specific passions, but they all matter to God, so they all matter to us. Psalm 82 verse three says it like this. Defend the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the, cause, uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. These are marching orders, not from some politician or from some generational TikTok influencer. These are marching orders from God for emphasis, which means we do it, which means we say, yes, sir. I'd love for us to be the, the, the tribe, a type of people where we follow the Spirit's prompting for our involvement while honoring and celebrating the involvement of others that might look different from you. This is the one issue trap. For some, you're like, man, God's given me a heart and you're gonna jump in with firewall centers and you're gonna do mentoring and tutoring for youth at risk in our community. And that's God moving your heart to do justice. For others, you're gonna jump in with Broward Outreach to combat homelessness in a, in a systematized and structured sort of way. Others are gonna say, man, I feel so commissioned by God to give wildly and generously to missionary Sam to help rescue kids out of human trafficking. For others, you say, man, I'm litigating within DCF and the child uh, support and the child welfare system or I'm lobbying within my context for fair housing. However, God has called you to enact justice in this world. That's amazing. And if someone else has been called in a different way, celebrate. Don't victimize. Don't denigrate. Because it's God's heart. And just like the body, if his people move in accordance with his directives, then everything gets covered. And when we do it in love, mercy, and humility, his kingdom comes. If you don't know what it looks like to start doing justice, talk to your microchurch leader. If you're not in a microchurch, another encouragement to go check one out and give it a shot there. If you talk to your microchurch leader, they're like, ah, I got no idea. Talk to Michelle. She would love to help your microchurch figure out what it could mean to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly in your microchurch, in that community. And I'm gonna wrap it here. Followers of Jesus, listen to me. Our justice must be prophetic and biblical. It must be evidenced by humility before God and done with God. And we sit in the moment where many justice movements have begun with God at the behest of God's kingdom and his word and they drifted from God into humanism and that does not work. We need God to do justice because justice is to do what is right in the eyes of the judge. Romans 1.16 is a very familiar passage, but rarely used in this conversation, and it should be. It says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the nations. For in the gospel, the righteousness, or the decay, justicia, the justice of God is revealed. A righteousness, a justice that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. The answer for humanity is not more human-fueled efforts and intention. The answer is the gospel. For in the gospel, God's justice and God's righteousness is revealed.
In the same way that I can't just tell a lie or shame on you, you should stop lying. What's wrong with you? Don't you care about people, you jerk? How's that gonna go? Same way I can't tell a racist or an oppressor of the poor and expect results. Now what I can do is I can tell them the gospel and access the power of God, which is the only one who has the power to change a human heart. And as a human heart changes, the actions inevitably must change as well. It's a power stronger than racism and oppression and lust and lying and selfishness. This is the falling short of the Pharisees. We must tell people not just to clean the outside of the cup, but to get the inside cleaned first. It's the gospel. The gospel is what brings the balance of justice, love, mercy, humility. The danger of worldly justice alone is that it produces shame, which never yields to heart transformation and results. It masks our evil, but it never delivers us from evil. And we don't just need new acts. Fundamentally, we need a new heart. We need a new nature, which is why we lean on his definition and his power to bring it about. Let's pray. You can bow your head and close your eyes if that helps you just for a moment of quiet and privacy, concentration. This is between you and God. And Lord, I'm asking that in this moment and in this space, we would be fully convinced in our hearts of our need for you that we would stand before you in humility, recognizing that we have been given such mercy that we often have not doled out to others in nearly the same fashion that you've given it to us. And Lord, right now, would you prompt humility in our hearts? You oppose the proud, your word says, but you give grace to the humble. Lord, would you allow us to be a people of humility, even right now in this moment, in this space? If you're here this morning and you would like God's help to do his justice, to love mercy and to walk humbly, here's what I'd love for you to do. I'd love for you to ask him. Even right there in your seat, you could do it under your breath. You can say it out loud. Say, God, I need you. I need your help. Lord, I wanna think about justice, the, the biblical way, justice and righteousness in the full profundity of what it means to you. Chances are one of those things come much easier for you than the others. Justice, mercy, humility. But God said all three matter deeply to him. So ask him for his help. God, I'm a person of mercy and and I love walking in humility, but justice is, is hard. It's confusing. I don't know what to do about it. Lord, help me. God, justice I get. I'm ready to go and get them. But if I'm being honest, mercy is rarely in the equation. God, I need your help. Teach me to be merciful. God, I, I, when it comes to justice and mercy, I feel like I got all the answers and everything figured out. And I know I don't. God, teach me to be humble. Forgive me of pride. I want your heart. Ask him his help his art, his eyes. I wanna give us a moment to respond in worship. So why don't we stand to our feet? And while we stand to our feet and get ready to culminate our time together, worshiping God, I'd love for our prayer partners to line the front up here. And, and if God's working on your heart in some sort of a way, if, if you'd like to receive prayer, if that would be helpful for you in your 
faith journey, maybe something resonated this morning and you know God's dealing with you. We'd love to pray with you. We've got some of our prayer partners up here right now, just ordinary people, passionate followers of Jesus. They'd love to pray with you, encourage you, answer any questions you have, pray a blessing over you in your faith journey. As soon as we begin to sing, I'd love for you to come forward. We'd love to pray with you, but let's close out and worship together.